to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast, where we discuss world-changing innovations. I'm Steve Germino, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe Ducey. Our guest today is Ted Larson, CEO of Ologic, a robotics consulting firm. He sits down with Robert Gendron, Vicor's VP of Product Development, to discuss the trends, challenges, and opportunities in the robotics industry today. You know, there has been a real explosion in robotics. It feels like we've reached a tipping point, and now we're seeing some really great mobile applications. But what's behind the growth? What's driving it? There are a number of market influences that are converging at this time, and Ted really has his finger on the pulse of this market. Ologic is one of those companies that is at the heart of this movement, and they're kind of like one of those overnight success stories that have been decades in the making. I mean, that's such a true story. I mean, Ologic is a perfect example of what happens when you pursue your dreams and have a very clear vision of what you, know, you want to achieve. I mean, Ologic has been able to take a technical concept they were passionate about and create a viable business model in a rapidly growing robotics market, which in reality is expected to be $225 billion by 2030. You know, from autonomous mobile robots used in warehouses across the world to an AI-enabled interactive companion, which they happen to call Snorble, you know, Logic can really be credited with some of the industry's most innovative breakthroughs. Yeah, Ologic seems to be one of those companies that saw the future and now the future is here. They're creating warehouse logistics robots, service robots, consumer robots, and they're all having real business impact. I mean, it doesn't hurt that their first customer, by the name of Hasbro, was an early adopter of their technology. With Ologic's growth comes a lot of knowledge, know-how, and expertise. Ologic is delivering sophistication in power electronics system design, and feature enhancements that companies really need. And they're doing it all under their one roof. When you listen to Ted, you have a sense that he really knows what he's talking about. You know, kind of like he has the battle scars and he's learned from them. And with that, he's able to build prototypes better, faster, and more efficiently. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, but you know, this story reminds me of the original Lost in Space TV series, which came out around 1965, and, and that's quite some time ago. So a lot of our listeners won't remember that, but there's a robot there, and in it, he would say, danger, danger, Will Robinson. And I always thought as a kid, that was really cool. But, you know, we fast forward 58 years, and we have real-life autonomous security robots, like the ones Ologic helped design for Nightscope which can provide seamless security 24-7, and actually, in some cases, assist law enforcement. Yeah, you're really dating yourself with that reference to danger, danger, Will Robinson, but you know what? I can relate, so I get where you're coming from. And really, that's just some great background info on robots and where they've been and where they're going. So with that, let's listen to Robert and Ted unpack the story of Ologic. Today, we're joined by Ted Larson, who is the CEO of Ologic. Ted, how are you doing today? Fantastic. So Ted, can you describe to us who is Ologic? Ologic is a consultancy. We do electronics and software engineering design for the insides of other people's products. We serve three primary market segments. One is robotics, which is our largest market segment. The second is consumer electronic devices. And then the third is Internet of Things. And our definition of Internet of Things are things with phones and tablet guts inside of them that actually aren't phones and tablets. So they would be appliances and connected fitness equipment and things like that. 
but we do do heavy business in the robotics industry. We've been in business for 18 years and we've designed the insides of lots of mobile robot projects here in Silicon Valley and beyond. Ted, I looked at your website a little bit and your one-stop shop, is that correct? It looked like you do ID design, the electronics, firmware. We can, but not everybody needs everything. We found that our customer needs are very broad and sometimes they need help in specific areas and they may have the other areas covered very well themselves. So a lot of times when I refer to ourselves, we're like just a bunch of hired mercenaries that come in and help you tackle the hard problems that you can't tackle yourself. Okay. And Ted, how did O-Logic start? You mentioned that you've been around 18 years, I think. Yes. So we got started, me and another guy, Bob Allen. We had met in a local robot club here in Silicon Valley called the Homebrew Robotics Club. And it still is going. It meets every month. And we had been building robots together for fun. And he was thinking, you know, gee, some of the things that we have designed, these designs could be sold to others or we could sell consulting services to help others do this kind of work. So we bought a booth at a trade show and it was the very first Robo Nexus trade show. And we went to that show and showed off some of our items that we had designed. And the VP of engineering of Hasbro walked into our booth and said, I like this and this and this, and why don't you guys come work for us? And so Hasbro became our first consulting customer. And we worked on many, many projects for them over the years. And then that branched out into other consumer electronic and toy types. And then that eventually led to larger and larger robots. And now a lot of the mobile robots and things that we're doing today. Probably a good segue into the next question I had was when we talk robotics or robots, as you just said, I mean, what segments are there for robots today? Like, you know, where do we see robots today? Yeah. So a lot of the earlier ones that came to market, there was lots of need in the area of security, both outdoor and indoor. So you have companies like Nightscope that are doing outdoor security robots that roam around corporate campuses and shopping malls and you know building outside and then there's another company called cobalt robotics that does indoor security where they roam around and they act as you know the person with at the front desk or you know providing roaming around inside of a corporate environment there's other markets like retail store inventory so there's companies like Symbi Robotics, where they have a robot that moves up and down grocery store aisles and determines what products need to be restocked on the grocery shelves. The other big robot segment, obviously, is like warehousing and infra logistics. You have lots of companies that are working in that space, such as Fetch Robotics and Locust Robotics and new up and coming ones like Geek Plus and other groups. And again, that warehousing logistics market is something that Amazon has obviously drawn a lot of attention to over the years with their purchase of Kiva and using it to automate a lot of their warehousing operations. Another segment is hospitality. So you have companies like Relay Robotics where 
It's a robot that delivers towels and toothbrushes inside of a hotel. You call downstairs and say, I need fresh towels in room 302. And somebody at the front desk puts towels in the robot and the robot goes and rides the elevator and comes up to the room. And it eliminates having that extra staff in the hotel that all they do is run things around to the patrons. Another area, too, where you see a lot of robotics coming is in restaurants and food handling. There's companies like Bear Robotics, which are running orders out to tables or picking up dishes and bringing them back to the kitchen to be washed. There's several different companies that are uh, trying to solve that problem, but I think Bear's the definitely the leader. And then in hospitals, again, you have companies like Relay Robotics that are moving materials around in hospitals. And then you have telemedicine and robotic nurse type scenarios like what Diligent Robotics out of Austin, Texas is doing. So lots and lots of markets. The last one, which is more up and coming, is construction site robotics. So these are robots that help out on construction sites. One of our customers, Dusty Robotics, is doing construction-related robotics, and they have a very innovative solution that it is able to take a floor plan for a building and then print it out on the ground on a floor and kind of eliminate the need for somebody to go with the measuring tapes and the tape to lay out the where the walls and the plumbing and all that's going to go in. And they're going gangbusters. This idea of construction site robotics is really kind of like just starting to emerge. So you're starting to see more and more companies that are building robot devices for doing like drywall handling or taping and assisting with plumbing and other items like that in building settings. So that's a quite broad spectrum of various markets where you see robotics being deployed. And, you know, it's funny because based on our business model, we really touch a lot of these products and we get to see how the various people are attacking the problems and they all have their unique way of doing it. And it's really fun to see that kind of innovation. And the robots, would you say they all align to, let's say, a 48-volt battery, a 24-volt battery? Typically, what's the power source for these robots? So most typically, when you think about battery-operated mobile robots, there are two kinds of battery systems that you'll encounter. You'll either encounter somebody who's using a sealed lead acid battery chemistry. And in that case, you know, it's 24 or 48 volt power. But the vast and more predominant battery solutions, everybody has moved towards using lithium iron phosphate batteries. The energy density is much greater and the weight and the size of the cells is much smaller. And the problem is, is that with lithium iron phosphate is they are made up of in-series cells, like the inside of a Tesla car battery to a certain extent. And as a result, the whole voltage system that we contemplate when we think about, you know, 24, 48 volts is, doesn't exist in those battery chemistries. So a 24 volt battery in lithium iron phosphate it nominally, when it's mostly dead, is at 26 volts. And when it's fully charged, it's at 29 and a half. Usually it's close to 30 volts. And so 
this causes some interesting electronics design challenges because you need to be able to accommodate the overhead and the electronics to deal with the fact that it's really not a 24 volt system it's a 29 volt system and then same goes with 48 volts 48 volts really is not 48 volts it's really up closer to like 52 when it's like almost dead and then closer to 60 when it's fully charged so and it turns out that 60 volts is a magic number that breaks lots of silicon so when you're doing a quote-unquote 48 volt lithium iron phosphate type system you need to really overbuild it to be able to handle much higher voltages or you can run into problems with it being safe or you know reliable but those are definitely the two areas that the two power sources that we're seeing then i assume you must be dealing with processing you have the motion of the robot you have even i would assume armatures on some of these robots yes so in many cases uh the kinds of challenges that we are battling are related to battery management power management inside the robot battery charging power distribution and then motor control and being able to deal with you know making sure that in places where you have actuation you have enough power to do it there's also been a move lately towards larger and larger compute people want to not rely heavily on the cloud for compute they want to do it out on the edge and edge-based compute means more power hungry compute a shining example of this in the market now is nvidia has just released their new Orin processor and it is incredibly power hungry it's a very powerful chipset but it's very power hungry so we're starting to see more and more demand for really power hungry applications on the compute side where they need to be able to support compute that can you know consume hundreds of watts of power when they're operating which also drives demands for bigger batteries and bigger systems so you mentioned like security robot or i assume like a, a store monitoring robot how much power do they consume it varies wildly and it's funny actually when you think about how a customer or how a robotics company sells their product, they need to be able to sell it in a way where it can work at a duty cycle that is similar to a human worker. And a lot of times your power budget cannot be unlimited. So you need to be able to be conscious of how much power the robot is consuming and then making sure that the duty cycle of operation can actually be met. So we've had some very challenging problems in the past where customers have come to us and said, well, you know, we have a, a robot that was doing disinfection in a hospital and the duty cycle needs to be able to operate for four hours at a time and then can only be down for one while it charges. And that's one example. Or other ones in a warehousing or logistics scenario the robot needs to be able to last an entire shift so maybe it has to be able to run for eight hours but then maybe it gets two or three hours off before it has to do the next run for eight hours so a lot of this like product planning and then deciding what the customer needs are those items need to enter heavily into the calculus of the engineering of a new product before you're going to go build it and I think some companies end up learning the hard way where they'll build it first and then realize that it 
the duty cycle of operation doesn't meet their customer needs. So having really good onboard power management, having the ability to turn things off that you're not using when you're not using them to extend battery life is really critical, even when we're talking about these big mobile robots. I assume you have fairly complex like sleep states for the robot. Yeah. Yeah. There's various things that'll turn off various items. You know, there's no reason to have, if you're doing certain operations, there may be no reason to have certain sensors enabled and being able to do some very sophisticated power budgeting and deciding what needs to operate when, and then being smart about how you use the limited amount of power that you have on board. And then also be able to deal with charging times. Some robot customers, the reason why they might use a sealed lead acid battery as opposed to a lithium iron phosphate battery is sealed lead acid charges very quickly up to about 80% of its capacity. And then the last 20% takes the bulk of the time versus a lithium iron phosphate has more of a linear charge response. So you'll see some robot vendors, they are using sealed lead acid and they're never fully charging the robot. They're just living in that 80% range and then coming and slurping the battery charger to bring themselves up to 80% over and over again. So lots of interesting, clever tricks to improve your duty cycle and your battery life and your power management overall in the product. And Ted, I got to ask, of course, I know you're a customer of ours, but I guess why Vicor? How does that help in your systems? The way that we originally decided to start putting Vicor in robots was by happenstance. Originally, one of my more senior engineers here had come out of Xilinx and Xilinx, they've been doing a lot of enterprise grade telephony switches and things where they have their largest FPGAs running the inside of a, a big machine in a data center operation. And they used a lot of Vicor to perform 48 volt power conversion for driving these big FPGAs. And the Vicor products are incredibly efficient for the amount of power that they put out and the amount of size that they can put out. There's no way that you can build a chip down switching power supply using discrete components that meets the same level of power efficiency and power delivery that you get with one of these Vicor modules. So we started using them in robots. Nightscope was one of the first robots we put a lot of Vicor into, and then we just kind of proceeded from there. And then as Vicor has evolved their product line, they've become even more efficient, more cost-effective, smaller package sizes. And it makes it really, really easy to use their parts in robotic power distribution applications. Most robots need many power rails inside of them to run cameras and sensors and other things, lighting. And if you know that you can put a power supply in there that will allow you to actually deliver 300 watts of power with minimal impact to heating or board space or other things, it's a pretty easy decision to make based on the price of the product. So. We use them a lot and we've been very, very pleased with how easy it helps make our job because we don't have to spend a lot of time qualifying power supplies. We can work on the harder problems upstream of how we're going to put the whole unit together. And Ted, as you said, obviously you're involved in robots across various segments and use. Is there one that comes to mind that was the most challenging? 
they're all very challenging. The one that I'm the most excited about is the Dusty Robot, and it has a really unique and fun story with how it came about. And the problem that they are solving is really a perfect robot problem, but they didn't just immediately know that was the right thing to go and do. I think in their case, they knew they wanted to build a construction site robot. They went out to their construction site friends and did a lot of research on what kinds of challenging issues were going on in construction sites for commercial buildings. And I think their original idea had been they were going to build some kind of a cleanup robot that was like a giant Roomba that would basically clean up build areas. And one day they were out at the building site cleaning up debris to start getting a sense of like what kind of debris do they need to pick up and how much debris and what's going to be a typical issue and just really familiarizing themselves with the problem. And they saw a group of people over in the corner of one of the floors with tape and measuring tapes and blueprints. And they were laying out a floor plan on a floor that was being worked on. And they were like, huh, what are they doing over there? And they went over there and checked it out and realized that a robot could do that perfectly. <laughs> and so they immediately switched gears and went from doing this cleanup thing to doing um, floor layout. And they really struck upon something that's a huge need and it generates much more accurate results than the human beings do. And it's faster and they've learned all kinds of other reasons why the robot has benefits over people. One example is a human being cannot walk out onto freshly poured concrete for like three days but a robot can drive out onto freshly poured concrete pretty much within the first day or so. So stuff like that, that they've learned along the way that even give them better capabilities. So I'm very excited about that project because it's not an obvious use model. It's not something that unless you were in the construction business that you would obviously see as a problem that needs solving. And they've done a lot of work to try to make the device portable, to make it easy to you know transport, to make it easy to set up and get moving and be accurate every single time they use it. Construction sites are big, rugged, nasty places, and it's not pristine like a warehouse floor, for example. I think that's one of the challenges in robotics in generally is having a fairly controlled environment where you understand what the controls are for where you're deploying it and what the problems you might come up against are. And either working outdoors or working on a construction site, there's a lot of unknowns that can come up every single day with regards to the weather or what's happening. And that's one of the reasons why that project is particularly exciting to me is because I've gotten to see it go from inception to where it is now. It's been very, very pleasing to see it go so well. Oh, that's great. That's a great story. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, well, we've been talking to Ted Larson, CEO of Ologic. Again, very interesting overview of uh, what's going on in robotics. Ted, I want to thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. After listening, I can see how complicated it is to design the myriad of robots that Ologic designs. For example, hospital robots doing disinfection, they require four hours of runtime to one hour of charge. I mean, how can they do that? The four to one ratio operation to charge time? 
Yeah, I mean, like so many things nowadays, it really comes down to efficiency and return on investment. What's clear by specifying Vicor's power-dense power modules, Logic was able to standardize its basic power design to get the most out of each robot with a single charge. Now, that means robots can spend more time doing their designated tasks rather than just sitting around in a charger. And God help us if robots ever decide to unionize because we'd be in a lot of trouble. And what did you think of Ted's story about Dusty? I mean, essentially going from construction site Roomba to a layout robot that's now revolutionizing the industry. It's kind of that classic example of writing straight with crooked lines. Yeah, like so many of their projects, it's truly an amazing innovation. Logic was able to transform the old Etch-A-Sketch game with the help of Dusty Robotics into a construction layout robot that accurately transfers architectural layouts to physical floor plans, saving time and money on the actual job site. You know, for many projects, layout can account for up to 25% of the cost, which in today's high-priced construction world could translate into millions of dollars in labor and materials wasted. I think the old adage, measure twice, cut once, applies here. Yeah, I think what you're getting at, Joe, is Dusty offers some real value to the market. If you really think about what they're offering, Joe, you and I have done some carpentry, and tape measuring can be far from precise. You know, the exacting precision that Dusty is offering is really quite priceless, especially on the construction site these days. They're ensuring near flawless accuracy for large-scale construction that really has the potential to translate into some serious cost savings. Ologic, likewise, they're offering the same value to their customers, streamlining the prototyping process really because of their expertise all under one roof, and they're enabling customers to get their products to market faster. That offers real value right there. I mean, they really serve as just kind of a springboard for easy success, you know? That was really uh, some great insight from Ted and Robert, but that is all we have time for today. So until next time, I'm Steve Germino with my co-host, Joe Ducey. Thanks for tuning in to the Vicor Powering Innovation Podcast.